Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Russell. Hello, everyone. This is Ben. Today on the show, we have Kelly Davis. Kelly has been the Director of Research at Snow Sports Industries America since 2007. With 20 years of experience in research and intelligence gathering, her career has taken her from evaluating Arizona University's learning and alternative education programs to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, where she built economic models used by the manufacturing industry. Kelly is most likely to be seen outside where she isn't just crunching numbers, but also (laughs) crunching runs and doing everything she can to have a good time outside. She's an avid trail runner, surfer, cyclist, and skier. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. So for our listeners, Kelly's the real deal. I mean, we're talking about an industry that sees over $3 billion per year in sales. And that's just for equipment, apparel, and accessories. And Kelly is the director of research for all of that. (laughs) So Kelly, (laughs) Russell, and I really, really look forward to talking to you and picking your brain today. Thanks for coming on the show. Again, thanks for having me. I'm I'm happy to talk about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and also one other thing, I I sat through an entire day lecture uh, with (laughs) Kelly going over skis, snowboards, apparel, every kind of trend you can imagine. And you think director of research at Snow Sports Industries America, you think this huge team, but it's really just Kelly and uh, you also have one other associate that helps with all these different (laughs) things. So. We're barely a team. It's two people at ten. It's good, yeah. So how much of that $3 billion do you get, Kelly? No, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> not much. <laughs> so could you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do on a daily basis and how that changes uh, over the course of the different seasons? Yeah, definitely. Um, on a daily basis, I'm, I'm basically providing a view of our market for SIA members. And we're a member-owned trade association. So that means our members like... Burton and Atomic and North Face and and, uh, Patagonia all basically pay me to do this for them. And the idea is that, you know, it could be anything from looking at doing a price point analysis to talking about what we're seeing in the consumer market. What are we seeing in terms of consumer trends? Uh, What types of consumers are entering our market? Who's leaving and and why? Um, On a daily basis, I probably am on the phone at least two hours a day, crunching numbers a couple hours a day and, and looking at consumer data that we're collecting in various quantitative and qualitative ways on an ongoing basis. During the season, though, it gets interesting because once it starts snowing, we know a lot more about what is likely to happen in the retail market. Mm-hmm. So we tend to talk a little bit more about, about some um, projections of what we see happening. And you know, during the course of the season, our members have to basically sell their goods into retail for the next season. So it creates this really interesting um, position in which uh, consumers are buying for this season. And sometimes it's really early on that suppliers have to figure out what the trends are for the following seasons. And they're developing products for two seasons ahead. So it gets really, really interesting in terms of looking at the data and trying to figure out what's going to be happening two years from now. 
Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds like a big lagging effect, which is good at times and bad. Russell and I experience the lagging <laughs> effect with these podcasts occasionally. But anyway, before we get into all of the trends, and Russell and I really want to talk about those, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. So which came first, the the love for data and statistics or the love for the outdoors, like Russell was telling, <laughs> telling us earlier? <laughs> I don't know, you know, maybe it was all at once. You know, as a kid, we were always outdoors. We were always doing action sports before we even had a name for it. I mean, we were riding motorcycles and bikes and skiing and and just generally just being outside. Um, and I mean, everything from riding a big wheel straight down a hill and praying you don't get hit by a car to, <laughs> you know, to jumping other kids on bikes. Those were yeah. those were the fun childhood activities. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I did show, you know, some uh, unusual aptitude for math. So I don't know. I don't know what came hmm. first. Maybe both. Yeah, it sounds like a, a similar story with me. Uh, I grew up in the outdoors, northern New Hampshire, every kind of thing I could hope for. And both my parents were in the industry. My dad owns this retail store. My mom works in the ski industry. So I had every opportunity. And then I was very similarly interested in math on the Math Honor Society, and then I uh, got an engineering degree, and now I find myself back in the outdoor industry. And so it's funny, we, we both had similar paths, but yours, once you got out of your college and your <laughs> studies, intelligence work with the government. So uh -huh. <laughs> I know you can't talk too much about that, but what kind of things were you doing uh, on a math basis? I'm modeling, you know, basically just trying to trying to build models so that um, you can learn things from seeing different patterns in data. Okay. Uh, and and you know, it, it's it, it, basically I got to do that, and you know, all of the other stuff. I just all the outdoor stuff. It just wasn't combined. It was very compartmentalized. Hmm. I'll just comment on Russell's math background. He's actually wearing a University of New Hampshire mechanical engineering shirt right now, which I didn't. <laughs> nice. Even go UNH. Go UNH. There you go. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your passions as you got a little older in the outdoors. You had done some triathlons and you were telling me that you moved out to Hawaii for a while. How did that get rolling? Um, well, my first husband was in the Coast Guard and mm -hmm. <laughs> I went out to Hawaii with him. We were stationed in Hawaii for four years and I, you know, I, I went to graduate school out there and I ran a triathlon shop. And called Island Triathlon and Bike while I was going through graduate school. I mean, we sold bikes and shoes and tri suits and all that. And so, you know, Hawaii's expensive. So you look for things that you can do on the cheap. And triathlon was just one of those things. Hmm. Um, and it and it worked with what I was doing. So yeah, we 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 both started competing in Hawaii. I mean, we didn't do the Ironman, but you know, we were on Oahu, and they have races year-round and a good triathlon community good running community good swimming community good surfing community so we fit right in and that's how it all started i mean that must have been a cool experience i've always wanted to live in hawaii a little bit but i want to fast forward a little bit for our listeners kelly actually was diagnosed with ovarian cancer could you tell the listeners a little bit about how that affected your life yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting and very valuable to have to face that kind of thing. And I was I was in my early 30s, and uh, you know when somebody when somebody tells you that you, you know there's a good chance that you're not going to live for another year, it sort of changes your perspective. And you know I went through chemotherapy, and you know basically I had the same type of cancer and the same type of treatment that Lance Armstrong went through. I think everybody's fairly familiar with that. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's a life changing it's a life changing experience. I learned a lot about what's really important in life, and you know it it convinced me that I needed to to take a look at what I was doing and and make sure that I was that I felt like the the actions that I was taking in my life matched the objectives that I learned were most important. And so yeah, that was that was a big deal. And I wouldn't trade it for the world, uh, although it was the most difficult thing I ever went through. And you know, I, my marriage fell apart during that time. And you know, I I decided to go and and try for uh, the brass ring in Silicon Alley because that was about the same time that boom was really taking mm-hmm. off. And yeah, there are a lot of changes and a lot of a lot of new experiences that went a lot. And I I really wouldn't change that for the world. You know, you hear that a lot from people who are diagnosed with cancer and get this renewed outlook on life. And obviously, you would never wish that on somebody. But is there any way to simulate that? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think so. Yeah. I, and I, I would not recommend anybody try and simulate right. that. Right. Yeah, no. It's, uh, <laughs> but it is incredible how, how meaningful it is to the people who have experienced it. So it's just something that popped into my head. But anyway, let's move on to the trends in snow sports because I think that's what... Well, there's got to be some transition from these life-changing moments <laughs> to the snow sports industry. So what were the steps that you took when you realized that you had this new perspective on your life? Um, well, I went, the, the Silicon Alley thing was one of them. Mm-hmm. That was, a, I think I'm going to go to New York City and see if I can, if I can do this. Because it was so challenging. Was everybody's working in brownstones 24-7, and it was, it was really exciting. Um, unfortunately, our, our, our funder ended up being, he was a fraud, basically, Ooh. stole all our money and disappeared. So hmm. at, at that point, I went on, uh, I was recruited by the intelligence industry or members of the intelligence industry. And that seemed pretty cool, too. And, and it was for, for a time. And, and then, you know, I decided that what I was doing wasn't, you know, got to, it, we got about six years down the road. And I thought, well, I'm not really sure that I like what I'm doing. Um, not necessarily not liking the process of the work, but not like, and I didn't really like where the work was leading. Hmm. And that's, that's pretty much all I can tell you about that. But at that time, I, I you know, I, I started my own consulting firm and I, and I got a bunch of projects, you know, in my little hometown and started doing retail and construction and, you know, I was making a, making a pretty decent living and still working for the government. So that was fine. But it kind of got to the point where I was working about 80 to a hundred hours a week and everything else got cut off. And, you know, because of the experience with cancer, I realized, Hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm off track here. So I started looking for something that matched, you know, what I was passionate about, with the the work that I did that I was passionate about. And that's how I ended up at Snow Sports. I wrote our president, David Njimi, a letter that basically said, in a nutshell, I was born to do this job. Just just bring me in, let's talk about it. And so he did. And you know, that's that was about seven and a half years ago. And and that's how I ended up here and that's how uh, all of the paths converged to leave me talking about trends with you guys in snow sports. What an <laughs> awesome story. You wrote a letter. That must have been a pretty meaningful letter. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I wrote it at about midnight and I was, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm just going to tell you like it is. Yeah. Uh, this is. I'm perfect for this. And if you don't believe me, then let's talk about that, too. I wish I had a copy of it. I don't think I still have. A, I wish I did. <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to these trends in snow sports. I'm excited to talk about this. First of all, 
when you look at the growth of the industry over the past seven and a half years that you've been there, mm-hmm. you've been through an interesting time between probably the end of a bull market, right? And then yeah. and then the recession and now sort of a recovery. Is that reflected in the sales of snow sports? To a certain extent, mm-hmm. it is. Um, the The variable that, that um, is most predictive in snow sports is snow. Mm-hmm. And so the economic downturn has, has definitely had an impact on the market, but more so the variability of the weather. Um, over the past seven years, we've seen um, an El Nino season that, that was just fantastic. We've seen two seasons that basically left the industry reeling in 11-12 and 12-13. And last season was, was very interesting in, in the sense that we had some events that, that people call the polar vortex in which, you know, there was snow and ice all the way down to the bayou mm-hmm. and um, virtually no snow in the Sierras until until March and April. So in the weather creates the most variability in the market. And, you know, that's that's probably one of the one of the things that, you know, we're looking at as an emerging issue in terms of climate change mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, weather's got to be huge. And like you said, you have that lagging effect with all the data that you compile, basically from what I learned from our, our daily seminar that I was sitting in, you get all the data from all the retail stores all around the country, whether it's online and also brick and mortar shops, right. and you pull it in, you make some sense out of it, and then you tell them the next steps. What are some actions that have resulted from information that you've compiled and put together for these retail stores? And then there's also the brands probably take some information from this as well, right? Yeah. Well, an interesting story would be uh, we, we started to see in the participant data and the retail data, a lot of a lot of people participating in snowboard outside the resort, we call it backyard mm-hmm. snowboarding. Hmm. And so one of the things that, that happened as a result of, of identifying that trend early on is we, we have some snowboard companies that are basically producing boards that are meant for that particular activity. Hmm. That would be an example. Um, another example would be you know, a piece of apparel we noticed was it was selling quite well in a particular price point and, and noticed that there was opportunity in, in higher price points for that particular piece of apparel because it was it basically sold completely through. Uh, and so the next season they raised the price about 20 bucks and, and continued to sell through 100%. Wow. So it's advantages like that that you see in, in even model level data that we get at retail. So yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So I went to the SIA trade show for the first time this past February, actually. And what shocked me most, and I say this a lot, was how many companies are there. And it seems like a lot of them do very similar things. Mm -hmm. And from a consumer perspective, I really like to see something like this because I know it's going to keep prices lower, the increased competition. But from the supplier's perspective, that's squeezing my margins and I'm not happy. So have profit margins, I guess, across the board contracted for something like alpine skis? No, actually, they've stayed fairly steady. And we've huh. got data on that going about 30 years. And it's wow. it's interesting to see. Yeah, the, the margins don't shift more than a point or two, um, no matter what uh, happens during a season. And, you know, we might see we might see a little bit more carryover in a season that especially towards the end of a season that has not been ideal in terms of weather. But overall, yeah, margins have stayed relatively stable over the past at least 20 years. That's very interesting. And there's nothing that's controlling prices, right? 
Um, other than supply and demand. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And just one more question. The number of suppliers has increased, like I've said, right? I mean, I, I don't have any data on that, but I would it's just It's a funny guess. thing. It's sort of, it's sort of ebbs and flows because you've got, you know, you've got, especially in, you know, we're talking about hard goods. So we're talking about skis and snowboards and there are some, you know, 800 pound gorillas in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your Burtons and you've got your Atomics and Rozzies and Vocals and then you've got these craft brands that make up maybe 5% of the market on both sides. And, you know, it's, it, it, you, you see the, the market go through cycles where you get a whole bunch of people producing, you know, uh, maybe a couple hundred boards a year. And they're kind of just doing it because they love it. And you see innovation come out of that side of the market. But it's really hard to make a living doing it. So you tend to see periods in which there are more craft mm-hmm. uh, producers. And then, you know, you, if, if there's a contraction in the market, like, say, 11, 12, and 12, 13, those two seasons were really pretty tough on the market. And you see a lot of those craft brands go away. And then, you know, things get better and they reemerge. And so there's an ebb and flow to that. Yep. Yeah, you look at all this data so much. That's all you're doing all year, basically. And <laughs> you if, make it sound so exciting. <laughs> well, it's. I mean, it's exciting for you. It's actually That's exciting to it. Russell. I, you know, contrary to what you may believe, Russell's pretty excited about this. I'm. I'm very excited. But what I'm most excited about is I know you probably wouldn't do this, but after looking at all the data and looking at the retail stores, looking at the brands, if you were to start a business in the outdoor industry, what area specifically would it be in? Ooh. This year, insulated <laughs> apparel. Mm, <laughs> I'd fill something with down and make it waterproof and breathable and sell it. <laughs> would you feel like that would actually be a good business or are you just saying that because of the weather? Now, I'm saying that because I think that the the weather is probably always going to be cold in the wintertime somewhere. And insulated apparel sells really well. You know, that's it's the margins are high. There's room in the marketplace for a highly innovative product. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it would make it be a good business. So the only thing that caught me off guard there was that, or I guess throughout this conversation, is that a lot of this stuff is backward looking, right? So the weather was cold this yeah. year. And like you said, the weather is so variable and it, I don't know what the, I, God, I wish I paid more attention in statistical forecasting, but the, <laughs> the weight that you would put on that variable in your models, I mean, weather has got to be the highest weight among everything else. Yeah, definitely. So does that bother you? Does that get you nervous? Um, it, it always, it doesn't make me nervous. Honestly, I've got to be, I've got to try not to be emotional when I look at the numbers because mm-hmm. that's just a recipe for madness. <laughs> Nate Silver, you know, everybody knows Nate Silver, you know, his mm-hmm. 538 group uh, correctly predicted 49 of 50, of 50 state elections. I mean, just a, just a genius, this guy. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about, about projections. And one of the things that you've got to avoid doing is just counting on one variable because there are all kinds of factors that, that play into know your your analysis and your projections so to to make a long story short yeah the weather's really important and trying to project that is almost it's it's amazingly difficult and you know for for instance right now the national oceanic and atmospheric administration is predicting sort of lightly predicting that we'll have an el nino winter next winter but it's really too early to tell i mean everybody's sort of whispering about it and, and that kind of thing but 
you know, one thing we know about the weather, that it's going to be variable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, what you want to do in an analysis like that when you're looking forward is just look at look at the averages over about 50 years. Okay. And, and you know, and try and try and hedge your bets a little bit and make sure that you're that you're understanding all the variables in the market, everything including, you know, what is Gen Y doing? Are they spending eight hours behind the screen? And it's very difficult to get them out on the hill. Um, what are we doing to attract them to the marketplace? And, and you know, how does weather play into that? How do other variables play into that? So it's, yeah, the, the analysis gets, it gets very granular. Let's put it that way. Even though weather is probably the best predictor of what will happen in a, in a given season. Yeah, you mentioned Gen Y there. Can you talk a little bit about the different generations of people? So you have Gen X, Gen Y, the millennials. What are those exactly? And then how do you use those to show your data in a, in a good way for the uh, retailers and consumers? We do a, a few things. And first, I'll start with the generations. Mainly in the snow sports market right now, we've got Gen Z, which are the under 17 participants. You know, those are the kids in the marketplace. Um, they were born roughly, you know, you, you can look at Pew and see how different organizations define a generation. But generally speaking, we're talking about post 9-11 kids, kids that were born after 9-11. Um, Gen Y or the millennials, that's their, it's the same thing, are basically 18 to 35, 18 to 34 um, in that age group. Then you've got Gen X and Gen X is roughly 35 to about 55 and beyond that, you've got the baby boomers who are 55 plus. So those are the generations we look at. And how do we use that? Well, we do participant studies. We're involved with two of them. One is is a little bit larger than the other, but it gives us interesting data. It gives us an interesting um, double view of what's going on with our participant base. And we parse that by age and education levels and income levels and all of the general demographic variables that you would expect us to parse by in a study like that. And then we do a lot of sort of qualitative consumer research where we go out and we ask them, you know, to, to identify themselves by age group and gender and, and so forth and find out exactly what is going on in their heads and how they're experiencing snow sports. And, and it does tend to differ by generation. It's very, very interesting to see how diff different generations understand the experience of snow sports. For example, we noticed that alpine skiing, the number of people who self-identified as alpine skiers is way down. It's down about 20% over the past two seasons. Wow. But the number of people who identify themselves as free skiers is up almost 50%. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, and, and overall, I mean, it all comes out in the wash. We've got about the same number of skiers. It's about 12 million. It runs between... 12 and 12.5 over the past 10 years, skiers in general. But what's interesting about that is that when you look at the quantitative data, you say, okay, well, this is going on. What does this mean? And we can go out and we've got a, our, our own proprietary panel, and we use a lot of other panels of, of just general participants and said, hey, you know, what do you love about snow sports? And the Gen X talked about, you know, independence and, mm -hmm. you know, just being outdoors. And then you get Gen Y and they start to talk more and more and more about freedom. They use the word freedom in their open-ended comments. And we took those open-ended comments and we threw them into something called a word cloud. And the more often a word is mentioned, the closer it is to the center of the mm -hmm. cloud, the bigger it is. And so we got the cloud back from, 
from Gen Y and also from Gen Z. And we got this huge freedom right <laughs> in the center of the cloud. And so the, it matched. And that's, that's where the consumer data gets really interesting because you can track sort of this change in the way people are consuming snow sports. It's not about the perfect turn anymore. It's not about skier versus snowboarder anymore. Now it's just about being able to go on the mountain, choose your line, go anywhere you want on the mountain, and have fun and feel free. You're free of the schedule. You're free of you know, being told what to do and being, you know, having limits placed on you, you're free. And so that changes the way marketing campaigns work in our industry. Yeah, those word clouds sound pretty cool. Yeah. Are those, are they public for people to see? Because I'd, I'd like to put one of those on our website for each generation, just because they, they're kind of burned in my head and they're really interesting. <laughs> I think it's hard to describe over words. Do you have those that we could put on our website? In terms of, of looking at what the different generations look like, yeah, I've got some I've got some good slides or good representations of what we're seeing vary between the different generations, and I'm happy to send those to you. Cool. Okay, yeah, we'll put those on your Meister profile page, Kelly. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and to move on, another thing that we'll be putting on your page is we normally ask our guests for a gear recommendation, and I know that you cannot provide a specific brand because that would just basically ruin <laughs> ruin your integrity. <laughs> I did this podcast, and now I'm tired. So what we would like is one piece of equipment, maybe just a fast-growing piece of equipment or something that you would recommend for our guests. Well, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to talk about a couple things. Good. Um, if if you like to ski or snowboard, and you've got you know you, you're wherever you're living, you probably have a home mountain. So I would recommend buying equipment that works best on your home mountain. I mean, if you're back east and you're skiing ice or you're riding ice, you're going to want a different. You know, you're going to want something that can carve. You're going to want something that that does well in those conditions. But a lot of us, you know, we 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 go on a destination trip. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Park City and hang out and ski or ride powder for a week in the winter? I do. You know, that, right? I wish I was doing that right now. No offense. <laughs> but, you know, you want to buy equipment that works best where you're, where you're participating most often. So my first recommendation is buy something that works for you where you go most often, your home mountain, and then demo some cool stuff when you go to places like Utah, Colorado, Alaska, you know, wherever you go to really to really have your sort of snow sports vacation. So if you're if you're going to go to Utah, you know, demo a powder board, demo some powder skis, demo some big fat skis, and see how that feels. But the main thing I'd say to people who do downhill, get boots that fit. Have somebody professionally fit your boots and make sure that those work for you. Because if you if that's that's where everything starts in the mm -hmm. boots. And you can take your boots and do your demo stuff anywhere you go and still have the same equipment for, you know, in terms of boots for your home mountain. So that would be my major recommendation. One really cool piece of equipment, and I, this is, it's, it's a little bit obscure um, that's, that's trending up right now, are split boards. And what a split board is, it's, it's a snowboard that basically splits in half so that you can, you can do what they call backcountry in it. And that means that you get a board, it splits apart, you put what they call skins on the bottom. Yep. And skins are really cool. They actually feel like skins. I mean, it feels <laughs> like animal fur or something. But what it does is it allows you to go uphill and not slide back down. 
Um, so, you know, you can basically hike your way up a mountain or hike through the backcountry and, you know, make sure that you have the appropriate education about the risks in the backcountry before you go out and do that because there are a lot of risks from getting lost and freezing to death to avalanche. So make sure you've got that education. But once you get to the top or wherever it is that you are headed, you take the skins off, you put the board back together and you ride down the mountain. It's just awesome. It's it's uh, something that you know has been around for a long time. A big a big uh, uh, split board proponent is Jeremy Jones. In fact, Jones Snowboarding sells quite a few split mm-hmm. boards, and it's a really kind of a neat piece of equipment. It's not meant for someone that can't decide whether to ski or snowboard either. <laughs> you know, this is for snowboarders, but it's a yeah. really neat way to sort of experience a little bit more backcountry, a little bit more backyard, and still have a really awesome snowboard. Yeah, the the boots comment resonated with me. The number of people that I hear complain about ski boots is astounding. And yeah. I've been fortunate enough to have a pair for six, at least six years that I'm just <laughs> refusing to get rid of because they're so comfortable. So Yeah, anyone that complains about boots, I just tell them to telemark too. So <laughs> that's, that's my solution. It's a whole oh, other road boy. that uh, we don't want to go down right now, but... <laughs> I've got a lot to say about Kelly. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to have a part two, but um, right we want to finish this interview up with uh, one final question. Since you are the queen of communications, we want you to give a, uh, our listeners who are probably driving to work right now, and they probably have some sort of communication duty that they have to give to their manager later today. So you have all this data, you have a ton of different things you can do with it. What's your biggest tip on communicating effectively? Um, understand your audience. Know who you're talking to, so that you know you you don't bore the crap out of them or tell them something that they didn't want to know. And just you know, stay stay on point, and you know, do some research on your audience before you walk into the room. And if you're doing a presentation to the board, that's a lot different than talking to people on a podcast. So it's just a matter of being sensitive to to who you're talking to, and and stay relaxed and do your homework. I think that, you know, that's things I learned in kindergarten <laughs> work best for my communication skills now. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Something that I've run into with the whole audience communication thing is that a lot of times you know so much more than your audience and you want to communicate that, you know, you really did your work and you know everything, but sometimes they do get lost within that whole shuffle. You want to show that you, you know, you've looked at the data, but occasionally you just need to show the summaries. Yeah. And, you know, if you're worried that you need to make people think you're smart, then, you know, that's that's probably not the best approach. That's probably true. <laughs> don't worry about what people think about, about you. Worry about what they think about the information you're presenting. Good. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on the show today. We really enjoyed having you. Uh, for our listeners, you can find out more about Kelly on her Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. You can learn more about Snow Sports Industries America at snowsports.org. So, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into that episode with Kelly Davis. Wildly entertaining, I thought. No Russell again. He is somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I don't think he has any sort of cell phone or internet service. Uh, normally he calls me before I go to bed every night, but I didn't receive that last time. I'm just kidding. He's going to kill me when he hears this. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that episode. Join us tomorrow when we have us on the show. It's our 
50th episode. Super exciting. We'll talk about some of the highlights of the podcast, return to a few episodes, tell you what we think of them, apply them to our lives, talk about some themes that we've seen. It'll be a lot of fun. So join us then.